Welcome, welcome to the Hard Skills Show and Podcast with me, Dr. Mira Bronku. I work with leaders in healthcare research, STEM, and other technical fields who want to develop an authentic leadership identity and create a healthy, inclusive workplace environment to retain the best people doing their best work. In other words, developing the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. Now, this is the final episode of our Facing Uncertainty season before we move on to our next season focused on developing identity, the second stage of my strategic leadership pathway model. And I cannot think of a better person to help us move from this past season to the next season. I have with me Nori Jabba. She's going to talk with us about how to combat ageism and regain confidence in middle age, one of the most common challenges for women, especially. I think it's a perfect way to really think about how you move from navigating the uncertainty within leadership roles and navigating a leadership due to ageism. And how do you redefine success on your own terms as a new identity emerges? Now, remember, we value evidence-based practical solutions. So be ready. Take notes, I do, reflect deeply, and identify at least one small step to further develop your hard skills muscles based on what Nori shares with us. Now, Nori Jabba had a career in corporate real estate and community development spanning over 30 years. When looking for employment again, after years of consulting, she realized she lost her seat at the table when no one would hire her despite relevant experience, awards, and a master's degree. She abandoned her job search to learn more about ageism and hiring in the workplace and what she needed to change. Her book, Keeping Your Seat at the Table, is a guide to her story and how others can navigate ageism and redefine themselves, especially women who are often more affected by ageism. And she now works for a company managing housing programs and helps others on this journey. So it'll be interesting to hear how she got to that point as well. Welcome, Nori. We're really glad to have you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to ask the first question that people are probably wondering about, which is um, in your Zoom name, it says your name is Japanese and Lebanese. Can you share just a little bit about that? Yeah. So I have the most unusual name. And what's really funny is that my birth name was actually a very generic name. So my birth name was Barbara wood. (laughs) And my middle name is Noriko, which is Japanese. My parents lived in Japan, and they came back from Japan and named all of their children Japanese names. And they always called me by Noriko. And then in first grade, I nobody could say it properly. So my teacher suggested changing it to Nori and it's stuck. So it's been Nori ever since. So easy to remember because it's like sushi, right? And then I married a Lebanese man. And so I now have a Lebanese last name. So I went from Barba Wood to Nori Jabba. So I have these alter egos. That's kind of fun. But Nori Jabba is great because there is no other Nori Jabba and I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. That's right. That's right. So interesting. So interesting. Okay. So tell us about your journey, your career journey, and what led you to be inspired to write this book as a result? Yeah. So 
as you mentioned, I was consulting and I had a successful consulting business, but I'd lost a big client, which is part of why I lost my seat at the table. And for reasons I'll get into later, but I decided I need to go back to work. I'm kind of tired of the consulting, the the ups and downs on the, the revenue and no benefits. So I thought, you know, it's time to go back. I miss the camaraderie and the teamwork. And so I knew it would be hard because I'm over 50, but I didn't think it would be that hard. And it it was just, it did a number on my self-esteem, so much so that after repeated no's or no responses or coming in second again and again, I just decided to hang it up, go back to consulting and write a book about my journey. And so the uncertainty that I felt with my future, writing the book and learning more was how I handled it. It gave me a sense of control. I had to figure out what, what is going on here. I need to understand this because I know I'm not alone. So I wrote a book about it. Yeah. Um, what what did you learn as a result of kind of digging in and exploring a lot of this? I learned so much. So first I learned I have to shift my view of success and, and what that really means. And, you know, we, we tend to look at our career paths as a straight arrow up and you get your seat at the table that you're invited to. And through this journey, I shifted it all. I realized that success isn't being invited to a seat at the table. It's creating my own version of success and what I really want and rethinking what success meant to me. And I also learned a lot along the way about ageism in the workplace and and what we can do both as corporations, corporate leaders, and people looking for jobs because there's a lot that we can do to manage it. Yeah. So um, there's three ideas that you share that I really want to dig into. Number one is what is a seat at the table? What does that mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Number two is how do you define or redefine success? How do people do that? And number three is this issue of ageism. And in women's cases, it's gendered ageism, which is kind of a double whammy, right? So um, let's just start with like the basics, seat at the table. What do we mean by that? Yeah. So for me, a seat at the table means feeling fulfilled in your life. And it's not just about work. It's about your life. So I I took the table concept for work and I expanded it. And it's a wonderful metaphor, especially for women, because, you know, the table is where we love, where we learn, where we nourish, where we care, where we make tough decisions, where we create and where we work. It's so much more than the corporate world. So why? Why was I thinking of it in such a narrow way? So that was the first thing. And really the foundation of that is getting to your purpose in life and what you really want to be or do or what kind of legacy you want to leave. And, you know, there's a big difference between legacy and purpose. And through the process, I realized that my purpose wasn't becoming a C-suite person, a CEO, which is really what I wanted to do. And I hadn't done it yet. And I felt like time was short, but, you know, it really was about redefining what do I want to do? Well, through the process, I learned I want to be a writer and share my story. I don't need to be a CEO. Yeah. You know, and um, I think a lot of us get lost in um, titles, you yes. know, and um, specific um, titles of roles or status or 
that kind of thing. And um, not thinking like, does this actually connect to what I'm interested in, what I want to do? Does this like, is this actually aiming for something that I find fulfilling? Is that kind of how you're thinking about seat at the table and what what people seek as, as fulfilling? Yes. And so it made me really rethink, do I need this powerful job with a whole lot of people reporting to me and a lot of responsibility and pressure? Or do I want more life balance and to be able to do the things that I love? So I really zoned in on what is it I love? And the the job that I have now was a complete emotion for me, but it felt like the right thing to do after I'd been through this journey. And one of the beautiful things about ageism and this job is that my boss is decades younger than I am. And I absolutely love that. I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have felt good about myself in that role. And if I hadn't gone through this journey. So yeah, I rethought what was important to me. And I went for a job that I knew would really fulfill me. And I got it. And I think that is why I got it because I knew it was a good fit. Yeah. And, you know, when you go to interviews, when you show up um, energized and excited about the things that truly energize you, that truly, you know, connect to your purpose, um, it shows, right? So um, people also see that in you and it's, it's infectious, right? So um, when we come back, um, we're, we're actually nearing an ad break. So when we come back, I want to um, focus even more on like, what is success and how do you get to that sort of like definition for yourself? So Excellent. you're listening to the hard skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku and our guest, Nori Java. The new season of the hard skills is actually moving to Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So that means in a few days, I'll have another brand new show. Um, so make sure you write that down. If you'd like to join us today online right now and ask any questions, you are welcome to in real time on LinkedIn. We are here and we um, are happy to take your questions. Otherwise, we'll be back with our guest in just a moment. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronco, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. You're listening to 
Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome, welcome back. We are here with Nori Jaba, who is describing how you regain, redefine success and have a seat at the table um, and how it relates to ageism for women. So um, we just defined what seat at the table means, which is kind of a sense of fulfillment. And now we're kind of entering this idea of what is success anyway. And at, when we're thinking about moving from um, uncertainty to developing identity. I think there is something about that transition in um, making sure that you're focusing on what does success actually mean for me, to me. I'm wondering how did you get to that point for yourself and how can other people do that? Yeah. So really it was, it was a hard conversation with myself that, you know what? I'm not going to be a CEO. And it's not because I can't. It's because I am choosing not to do that for myself. So I was going to start a company. So I decided to write the book. But on the side, I said to myself, if nobody's going to hire me, I'll start my own company. More than just consulting, I wanted to start a tech company. And I went through an incubator program to help support me in that process. And it was through that wonderful program that I decided, I I don't need this. This was for my ego. This wasn't for myself. And what I really want to do is add value and share my story. And so my purpose became the driving force in what, how I determined success and the job. I mean, here's the key. Your, your job doesn't have to be your purpose in life. Your job can be something that supports your purpose, but isn't the definition. And so when I made that shift, that's what did it for me. Yeah. So I heard a number of things here that, that really resonate. Um, Number one, it's not that we cannot be leaders in any specific position, CEOs, whatever that is. Um, but it's important to know why you're doing that, why you're interested and what, um, what pulls at you and, um, part of like moving to defining your own definition of success is moving from, um, my ego to my value, right? Um, I realized that in my own leadership journey when, um, you know, I was just asking myself, um, is this just because of the um, allure of prestige that I'm seeking this? Will it actually be fulfilling? Um, or am I just seeking a title just to seek the title, right? Yeah. So um, once you connect what you're actually um, driven by, energized by, interested in, it's it actually can lead to much higher levels of success than you originally planned just because you have a lot more energy around it, right? Absolutely. And that's exactly what's happening to me. So I took this job that was 
multiple levels below what I was doing. You know, in the prior job, I was a director, I was running a team, had 17 people under me, and I took a job as a coordinator. You know, I did a real career pivot because I have this bucket list, which sounds absolutely ridiculous when you hear what's on it. It was that I wanted to work for a city. And, you know, why? Uh, Because I have a master's in urban and regional planning, and that's what planners do. We go and we work in cities, and I had never done it other than an internship. So this was my chance to get in because you can't get into a city at a high level. You have to work your way up. Municipal experience is so important in the higher levels. And if you don't have it, it's very rare that you can jump in. So I jumped in at the lower level, thought, you know, I've got this. I can do this job in my sleep. I will love it. I know I will add value. I think my team is going to be fantastic. And there's only one way to go. And that's up. And all of that came true. And all of it is already happening. And, you know, just yesterday I sat there, I was doing something, uh, creating a, a brochure for the community. I absolutely love doing that. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I loved to do when I was a kid, when I said I was going to do this when I'm an adult. And I just have so much fun with it. So it's really rethinking how you get your value and how you give your value. I love that. Uh, and um as I'm thinking about kind of where you are, it it almost sounds um, playful and fun. It is playful and fun. It yeah. really is. And, you know, to have a job that, that brings so much joy, it, I didn't have that in the prior job. There was so much pressure and I was working 65 hour weeks. And yes, I was very good at it, but it wasn't my passion. It was a slightly different type of work. And it wasn't my passion. And so I did a pivot and really owning it. And let me be frank, I'm not 100% comfortable with it. You know, I'm still grappling every day with that non-CEO, non-C-suite path that I'm on. And, you know, I still am not ruling that completely out because it may still happen. You never know, right? I'm just getting started. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I went through that too. Um, When I decided to get off of the formal leadership track and back into an individual contributor track, um, you know, there, what I wasn't expecting was how much of my identity was wrapped up in that formal leadership. And I had to, to really think through like, did I need the formal position to be a leader? And the answer is no. I can show up as a leader in any given yeah. space and I can influence in any given space and right. I can um, um, support others um, who are earlier in their careers in any given space. And the only difference is the title and perhaps, you know, how many people are formally, officially allotted to me to support my work, as opposed to people that I work with collaboratively that are willing to and volunteer to work with me. Absolutely. So in my new role, I can actually get work done. It's shocking because when I was in a more leadership oriented role, I was in 37 hours of standing meetings every week. So I had to get the work done outside of work hours. And now I can get lost in my work during the day and look up and it's been three hours. I mean, what a, what a joy 
that is for somebody like me, where I like to get focused and I get in the zone. I never had that opportunity. And I think that was leading to being stressed because I need that to be successful for me. And so now I have a job that allows me to do that. So if you're born a leader or you find yourself feeling like a leader, it comes at a very young age. I have always been a leader. And I'm a leader, whether I'm in a leadership role or not, just like you, you know, I'm adding value, I'm motivating others, I am holding myself accountable, and I'm making changes, I'm doing things, I'm getting stuff done. So you don't need the title. So that's really a key of the book is just to, to rethink that for yourself. And the answer might be that you, you do need that leadership position for your happiness. But if you don't, Great things can await if you admit that to yourself. Right, right. Fuf- yeah, fulfillment comes in all kinds of ways. It depends on what drives you, what you know, um, what pulls at you. So um, now let's get back to the barrier here, which is um, ageism. You yes. did a lot of soul searching. You did a lot of researching, um, reading up on what um, held you back from this next step in your career. Um, and how much age, ageism was was um, at play. So can you share a little bit more about what you learned um, and um, about the barriers and then also what you learned about sort of trying to overcome that or work through it? Yeah. Um, so I interviewed a few of the people that didn't hire me for the book. Mm-hmm. And that was such a, such a wonderful door opener because I learned so much from these people and and valued what I learned from them. But one of the things I learned is, you know, I asked why, and I, I was talking about women, but this really applies to men as well. Why is it so hard for older people to get a job? What What is going on here? And the HR person who was in her late 40s, thank goodness, you know, it would have been a harder pill to swallow if she'd been in her 20s. Um, but she told me, you know, there's a perception that older people don't listen. And they're not willing to grow and they're dismissive of other people, younger people and their ideas. So this listening thing, I really took to heart um, because I really thought back about my own experience and it was true. I wasn't listening because I first as a woman, I was fighting to get a seat at the table. So I was instead of listening to people at the table, I was looking for opportunities to jump in or lean in like Sheryl Sandberg says, instead of really gaining value from what other people were saying. So I had kind of shut down on the listening and I have to share, I have to add value to be, I have to be heard. So I took a step back and thought, okay, how can I, how can I balance that and really become a better listener? And that is key. That is really key. The The other thing about being dismissive, I've done it, you know, how I've done it for older workers and younger workers. And, oh, that's a, I would say to myself, it's a stupid idea, or they don't have enough experience to know that's not going to work. Or for an older worker, I would roll my eyes in my head, not in front of them, that, you know, they don't know how to do something that everybody should know how to do. So I realized I have to learn. I have to develop the skill set that the younger people have, or I'm going to be left behind. And I think that's really, really true. So listening, 
not being dismissive, and being open to growth. Those are the three things that you can do differently. That's so interesting on many levels. Uh, Number one, because you are partly doing it to combat the um, normal stereotypes and discrimination related to how people treat women. And here you are trying to combat that. And it was actually backfiring, you know, and that is just, um, boy, how complicated is, you know, uh, sexism and and ageism in terms of how much we internalize, how much we fight against and how much it backfires. Um, Extremely complicated. The other thing that it is making me think about is um, that it goes both ways. Ageism goes both ways for young people and older people in that they're dismissive for the same reasons. Exactly. Value each other's perspectives. And behind all of that is how do we get to a culture of respect, validation, um, inclusion, and appreciation for each other's, you know, differences of experiences without assuming we know better, regardless of our backgrounds or age or genders or whatever that is. Well, I want to share a little story and my husband won't be happy when he hears this, but it's so meaningful. Before you share that story, I am going to, um, Cut us off for a second just to get into an ad break um, because I know this is going to be a good story and I want plenty of time to hear this. This is good. Okay. So everyone, you're listening to uh, The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Bronku, and our guest, Nori Jamba. Um, The new season starts on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time, and we will be right back after this ad break in just a moment. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. are back with the hard skills with our guest, Nori Jabba, the author of Keeping Your Seat at the Table. And we were just digging into 
uh, how ageism goes both ways and how it gets in the way of um, respecting and appreciating both younger people and older people. The only people that win are what, 40, exactly 40 years old? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Noreen, but you were, um, oh, and you're on mute now. Um, you were um, going to share a little bit of a story about your husband. Yeah, yeah. so my husband uh, works in a company with a lot of younger workers. In fact, when he started, there were two CEOs and they were barely 30. And, you know, he was in his 50s. And so the company has grown. There are some older workers there. But for his 60th birthday, they gave him a cake and they had a little celebration and it had the number 80 on it. And, you know, everybody was digging in and, you know, joking about what an old man he is. Mm -hmm. And he played along. He played along like, ha ha. But, you know, he came home and he was not happy about that. You know, he felt humiliated. And yet this was accepted in the workplace. And that it really struck a chord with me because it's such an example of how we don't really think about how those behaviors can impact other people. So part of combating ageism is to really just be aware of it. And I came up with a system that I call react to ageism and the R stands, and it's really for corporate leaders to help develop a, a more age-inclusive corporate culture. But R is react, or sorry, recognize. Recognize it. Just step back. It, should you be putting an 80 on a cake if the person's not 80? Let's not do that. And the second E is examine. You know, examine your organization and identify where and how ageism exists. Are you doing it with these silly little parties? Are you making a comment um, that might be perceived badly? And then A is adopt. Adopt policies and strategies to affect change. And these can be really simple. This could be setting up a training program to give older people the skills that they might be missing out on. Just little things that we might overlook. You know, at my prior job, my boss didn't know how to use Google Drive. He was completely intimidated by it. And I just said, you know what? I will teach you everything you need to know. It's not hard, but just creating those opportunities for learning um, can really, really help. And, and also creating partnerships, mentorships, partnering younger workers with older workers to get to know each other, coach each other, train, learn. We can learn so much from younger people and older people. And then C is commit, commit to being age inclusive. And T is train. Get some training for your people and provide those opportunities for those workers. So, yeah, that story with my husband really, um, it it happens everywhere and in every company. You know, it's just we we tend to reject older people and think they're done. And yet we celebrate older companies, right? The older a company is, the more revered it is. But we don't celebrate the older workers and the wealth that they bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm working right now on a Psychology Today uh, blog post with uh, another interview that I did um, with um, Helen Hurst Spencer. And um, she talks about gendered ageism and internalized gendered ageism. And a couple of these, you know, have come up as well. Um, you know, one that you mentioned was um, reverse mentoring, right? Um, mentoring where both younger and older people benefit. Um, and you learn from each other. 
right? There's, there's a lot to be um, had. And um, from the perspective of people who are um, more seasoned in their careers, not losing that institutional uh, knowledge and experience and expertise. Um, and then for, for um, younger folks to have an opportunity to learn you know, um, and get access to the kind of member mentorship that is very hard to have, you know, yes. like, I mean, what a benefit for both sides. Right. So right. I'm curious to learn more from you. Um, that office party story, um, definitely, I mean, how offensive, right. Yeah. Um, and people don't realize that because one of the things that, that, um, Helen was, was saying is it's the one discrimination that is completely like normalized. Mm-hmm. That is, it's acceptable. It's not part of DEI initiatives, right? Right. And so, um, what what um, common things do we do that we don't even realize we're doing that is actually quite offensive to older workers? Well, I think you know the the eye roll <laughs> about new technology is oh. is it's there, and just don't do it. Don't eye roll use it as a learning opportunity to for a young person if you if and i i've been guilty of it too you know how can you not know google drive i said to my boss like are you kidding me and and he felt vulnerable enough with me to share you know i feel like an idiot help me and so i did but you know taking those opportunities instead where you feel that eye roll moment to turn it into a learning opportunity to show what you know and anybody who has kids knows that we learn from our children right because they were born with an ipad in their brain and all of the technology and the the skills to use them um, innately and so we rely i rely on my kids like hey how do you do this or they'll notice that i'm doing something in an inefficient way and say mom you just do it this way and i love that opportunity to learn from my kids so when i go to work i look at it the same way you know these younger workers are tech just incredible tech gurus. So take the opportunity to learn from them and, and have a corporate culture that enables vulnerability, you know, enables you to say, Hey, I want to share what I know for anybody that doesn't know how to do this, which other people might take for granted and vice versa. I want to share what I've learned. And so really that's the key is just recognizing and turning it into an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Another one that comes to mind as you're talking is um, our appearance. You know, we make so many, so many judgments on yeah. what, how people look in the workplace. And that is um, specific to age, both young and older. That's um, also specific to race and, you know, um, sort of um, gender um, identity, how, you know, how people express themselves is yeah. um, part of their identity. And yet we um, still struggle with embracing that when it comes to ageism, um, the, the um, often overlooked sort of um, discrimination around and stereotyping around women is if they have gray hair, yeah. Um, yeah. they must be close to retirement. Which is hilarious because I've been getting gray hair since I was 18. It's a genetic and, you know, it's just like hair, you know, 
Um, so this is another one of those things, and it happens to women most um, more often than men. For men, they might look more distinguished, and so we're judged a little bit differently when it comes to that. I love men with gray hair, personally. But, you know, as an experiment for writing the book, I stopped dyeing my hair right before COVID. So I was ahead of the game. So it worked out well. <laughs> I wanted to see if people treated me the same, better or worse. And I was really shocked and empowered to learn that I was treated better. And I think there's an, it, it's self-confidence in yourself that I'm going to own this mm. and maybe standing up a little taller and, and, putting in effort in other ways. I I can't quite pinpoint it, but I will tell you and look around people. Every time you see a woman that is in a successful position with gray or white hair, they are a powerhouse. They are a powerhouse. And it's because they own it and people respect them. So I actually asked a woman with gray hair, that is just beautiful, you know, with the stripes and just looked really stunning. Why, why do you not color your hair? And she said, I want people to take me seriously. I want to, them to know that I have the experience. So I didn't want to color my hair. And I thought that was really interesting because it's the opposite of what most women think. And so I let my hair go and I get compliments on it. You know, I, I've got silver highlights. <laughs> I like to say, but a woman in my office is letting her hair grow out and everybody, but everybody's in her family's giving her a hard time and telling her she looks awful. And I gave her a copy of my book and said, read this chapter and please, I stand behind you. Just do what you want to do for yourself. And if you want to color your hair, great, do it. But if you think it's might be holding you back or you're sick of spending the money, then own it. And so that's what I decided to do. Plus, I didn't know how gray I was, and I thought it would be interesting to see. It wasn't as gray as I thought. <laughs> I love this. Um, this is so inspiring in many ways because, well, on a personal level, I have tried several times to let the gray just happen. And I get like halfway through and I just freak out. <laughs> you give up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody uh, say it was empowering. And I grew confident, more confident and, and people, you know, saw me and I saw others as having kind of a a greater, um, you know, kind of weight to their uh, leadership and role and um, influence. So maybe I'll try it again. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Well, it looks beautiful. So either way, I think it'll be successful. I am moving closer and closer into this. This is why uh, for for some of you who who have known me for a while, that's why it's blonde. It's getting closer (laughs) into the gray. Um, Okay. Let's, um, before the next ad break, I'd really love to hear the eight steps that you walk people through your book. Yes. So I'll go through them quickly. Um, and there, I love words. I was an English major and I had a lot of fun with the table concept. So it's all based on the table. So the first one is flipping the table and that's finding your purpose and understanding the difference between purpose and legacy and that your purpose doesn't have to equal your job. Two is clearing the table. And that's really about letting go 
of everything that's holding you back and identifying what's holding you back. Three is reinforcing the table and building strength in body, mind, and spirit. And especially for me, it was physical. Um, You know, I never felt like an athlete as a kid. I was last picked for sports and was really getting in touch with that stronger side of myself and building strength because if you are strong, you feel strong. The next is sitting at the head of the table and feeling empowered and taking your place um, with confidence. And step five is not tabling yourself. And if you live in England, it's different. It's table yourself straight away. They're opposite meanings. But it's, it's about staying relevant and staying on top of things and being open to growth and change and letting yourself learn a whole lot more, not being left behind. Step six is not getting pulled under the table. And this is really about facing your fears and the future. And for me, this is why I lost my seat at the table. Because my family life, it was a volcano ready to erupt. I had an older parent and she was out of state and I needed to drop everything to help her through her next chapter. And because of it, I lost my client because I couldn't be there for them. And it's just the way it was, but I didn't plan for it. And we tend to kind of put our head down in the sand. And so it's all about really grabbing hold of everything that gives you anxiety and facing it. And the next one is leveraging what you bring to the table. And that's about owning yourself, your identity, your experience, and not hiding who you are, how much experience you've had. I no longer put on my resume, uh, you know, that I, sorry, I no longer take off the year that I went to college or how many experience, years of experience I have. It's about owning it and really just feeling empowered by it. And the last step, step eight, is leaning on the table strategically. And that is filling your table all eight seats and your table can be bigger than that, but filling it with those partners in your life, your mentors, your coaches, um, people that empower you and support you and challenge you. Love this. It feels empowering just listening to it. Um, We will be right back after this ad break to learn a little bit more about a few of these stages. So hang tight and we'll be back with Nori Jabba on the hard skills. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back with the hard skills with Nori Jabba, keeping your seat at the table author. Um, she just got through sharing the eight steps that she helps people through to keep your seat at the table. And um, there's one that I was really curious about, which is um, towards the end, you mentioned staying relevant. How do you stay relevant um, and open to growth and change? What um, what are some things that we should be thinking about? Oh, and you're on mute. Sorry about that. <laughs> so I love this chapter because I have always been a lifelong learner. I had a father who just encouraged us to learn as much about the world as possible. So it's really, it's about creating a bucket list, a learning bucket list, and getting to it. It's about, I call it date night, where you go to bed early, like eight o'clock, and you have a stack of books and magazines and things you want to read and learn. It's not about scrolling on social media, but taking that time to learn from others. And it's also about signing up for learning opportunities and really identifying what you're missing. And there are organizations that can help you do this, you know, like Nova Works here in the San Francisco Bay Area, but every metropolitan area has them and they will give you, they're these um, job skills training centers and they'll help you with assessments of what you're missing and give you opportunities to learn these skills. You can go on LinkedIn Learning has just an amazing portfolio of classes. And there are so many websites and I list a lot of them in the book, but it's really endless. And so it's really making that commitment to get those skills that you need. And instead of saying, oh, I can't do that in that job, or I'm too old to learn that. I, that is my motto. Never say that. Never be that person who says, oh, I'm too old for that. I'll get a young person to do it. No, 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 no. Get a young person to show you how to do it. So the other thing that's really important to staying relevant is knowing your fit. And I created this thing called the fit model. And it's really to identify what is the right fit for you. So when you're in a job, knowing that you're a good fit means that you're going to be relevant for that position. So if you want to get a job or you're in interviews and it's not going well, ask Talk about fit and how you're a good fit, because when when people hire, the number one thing they're looking for beyond qualifications and, you know, whatever the 
experience, number of years they want or whatever, is fit. Is this person going to be a good fit? And it's also the number one thing that they say when you are rejected. Eh, We picked somebody that was a better fit. So figure out what your fit is. And that's how you stay relevant. That's great. And, you know, um, I also feel like this stage is really connected, for me at least, is really connected to one of your um, final stages around, um, and these are my kind of my words, but um, developing a strategic network um, for yourself. I like to surround myself with people who inspire me. And um, in that way, I kind of learn what they're doing that I'm not doing, that I'm sort of like um, getting behind or missing out on, or should I know this? Are there things that people are doing that I'm not doing? It could be like, you know, financial investment, or it could be how do you take care of your, you know, aging parents, or it could be how do you take care of your, you know, growing children, or it could be, um, you know, something related to how I um, negotiated for a higher salary. Lots of things that I don't know on my own might not get from my organization, but if I surround myself with really, um, you know, inspiring people that are successful in their own right, um, I can stay relevant through them. Are, is that a kind of another way to think about it? That's exactly how to think about it. And it's, it's identifying those people in your life that will help you through that. I mean, so many of us feel so alone, especially if you're job hunting. Um, You just feel like you're alone, nobody will hire you, but also in your careers, you might feel alone, you're stagnant. Stop that. You have a table. My table that I use for the book is eight seats, one for each chapter. You're at the head. And so fill out your table, one for each chapter in the book, at least you know, one person that you identify that can, you can learn from that will challenge you. These aren't just people that'll stroke your shoulder and say, good job. It's people that will, will force you to grow. And so I also have a hero list, you know, who are my heroes? And I like to have people at the table that I can reach out to, but I also have my heroes at the table. So, you know, Richard Branson is one of my heroes. I've learned so much from that man. And whenever I'm feeling like this is just too hard, I can't do this. I think of Richard because he just, he's intrepid. Nothing stops him. So having that hero list and those people to really inspire you is so critical. Love it. Love it. So um, I, for those of you who are watching live or later the recording, I'm going to um, share a little bit about um, her website, keepingyourseat.com, keepingyourseat.com. Yeah, that was available, um, believe it or not. <laughs> yes, which is amazing. Very exciting. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about what they might find if they go to this website. So I... You can buy a mug from me. Uh, It says, who's at your table? And this is really the kind of the key phrase for filling out your table and those strategic relationships. And it's a reminder. So I have people in the office that have these mugs. Who's at your table? And so um, if you want a mug, reach out to me and I'll tell you how to get one. And you can also submit your story for the next book. So I want to write a second book, which is about your stories, not mine, because so many people are going through this and this is just my journey. And I I love 
hearing about how other people view the table and how they feel like they got their seat back or how they keep it. And then you can also watch me on a variety of podcasts and videos and there are links to that. And of course, how to buy the book, which is also an audio. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a reader, but I, who has time to read? I don't. So I walk and read at the same time. I listen to audio books and I love books that are narrated by the author. So I narrated it, which was hard. <laughs> yes. Um, so lots of goodies, um, lots of opportunities um, to work with Nori. So um, as we're closing out, I want to ask the audience, what is one thing that you have taken away from all of the goodies that Nori has already shared with us? And what is one small change that you can implement either as an individual or an organization in terms of policy change um, based on what Nori shared with us about age inclusivity? Share it with us on LinkedIn at Mira Branku or Nori Jaba or at talkradio.nyc so we could cheer you on. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all over the place, but LinkedIn is where I live. So I would love to see your comments there. Um, in addition to being a live show, we're also on iTunes and Spotify. Please go subscribe um, to the podcast, leave a review, share with others to increase our visibility, reach, and impact. And you can join us at our new time on Tuesday, October 24th at 5 p.m. Eastern, when we're going to kick off our new season focused on developing identity with Ina Yeoman. When she'll talk about the beginning stages of exploring your identity, why it's so important to know yourself well from a leadership and mental health perspective. Thank you to talkradio.nyc for hosting. I'm Dr. Mira Branco, your host for the Hard Skills Show. Thank you for joining us today, Nori. And Thank you. have a great rest of your day, wherever you're tuning in from. Thank you, Nori. Thank you so much. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronco, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 